0: In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argo's podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argo's post-game reaction podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB as the Calgary Stampeders take down the Toronto Argonauts 29-2. The score is very misleading. The result... Is probably not misleading. This never felt like it was going to be a Toronto win. JB, is this one of those games that we just write off, forget about, throw in the garbage, and sort of say, you know, this happens to this happens to teams. Sometimes this just happens, and and you just got to forget about it, move on. Or is this alarm bells ringing, and you really got to start looking into what the problems are?
1: Um, probably somewhere in the middle. I think that. It's not as terrible as probably a lot of a lot of the people listening or a lot of the people watching feel it was. You can't deny they are zero four against the top teams in the West. That's that's you know a problem. Um, I, I don't think you can just write off the fact that uh, you know they went to Calgary and and were unable to it really move the ball very well and unable to score definitely does identify issues that have to be you know uh dealt with I I don't I mean I Calgary is a bad matchup for Toronto they they run basically the same offense uh yeah it's not an em, it it's not an emergency but it is concerning
0: what i saw today was Two very, very similar teams. One had slightly better production from their offensive line. Actually, not slightly. Had much better production from their offensive line. And that was the difference in this one. I thought that the Toronto defense, I thought, was outstanding today. Especially when you consider all the stars that they lost on their defense. Already playing without Jamal Peters. Then to lose... And, and Jamal Peters, the CFL's interception leader, and then to lose Wynton McManus in the first quarter, who is a candidate for Defensive Player of the Year, and then to lose Shane Ray. Actually, Shane Ray went out even before that, uh, early in the first quarter, uh, who is one of the most dangerous players on the Toronto defense. And then, you know, by the time they lost Royce Mechie uh, later in the game, it was, it was almost decided by then. But to lose all those guys and still have the team in it right at the end. They only, going to the fourth quarter, they'd only allowed 14 points, and seven of those were on the offense, turning the ball over deep in their own end. They they were amazing today, and I think that's going to get forgotten about because this just, all around just feels like, you look at the score, you know, with 29 points. Uh, it really wasn't like that, though, was it?
1: No, uh, it was it was 14-2 until, you know, not say deep, but at least into the fourth, and then, you know, they are pushing, they throw a bad pick six and then the final touchdown was kind of a rub it in your face um, move by Calgary to, you know, I don't know, to run up the score for some reason. So, you know, it, it, it is, you know, we talk about the kind of the five play rule for sure. If, the, if they have five plays go a different way, they can win this game. Um, this was not the BC line game where they got the doors blown off, or they weren't competing. They, they absolutely competed. If you watch the game, you know they had some drives that went okay, but then stalled. Calgary didn't really have any success moving the ball. Um, you know it, it is disappointing, but you can you can certainly. Come up with a way to win this game. If you know, if they played again, I think they, they'd have a decent chance of winning. I don't. I don't think this was a, the mismatch that the score showed.
0: Not at all. I think in that fourth quarter, there was a moment there. So it's fourteen two, and Bethel Thompson launches a deep ball for Deveris Daniels. Deveris was wide open, and it ended up going over the wrong shoulder. And that, you know, if that's a catch, that's a touchdown. And suddenly it's a 14-9 game with like seven minutes to go. But it ends up not being a catch. And uh, you're talking to Bethel Thompson after the game about that throw. It was just a, a case of them being on slightly different pages. And I think this goes back too to Diverse Daniels typically not being a guy that runs deep routes from inside the, the slot. Like he hasn't done a lot of of, of seams, uh, go routes from from the inside. And Bethel Thompson was expecting to fade him to the outside. And instead, he sort of skinnied in and uh, wasn't able to pick up the ball over his other shoulder. But that little difference there, um, you know, that was it. And then on the very next drive, there's another bomb that just misses. This one was just thrown a little bit too far. It hits Tavares Daniels' fingertips and he couldn't bring it in. But either one of those hits and we've got a game coming down to the wire now we got it out of hand at the end but games like this do so i don't know i think yeah uh, i mean ultimately it's, it's a bad game from the toronto offense there's right. no question you can't you can't sugarcoat that no exactly it, it could have been there it, exactly like i don't want to be just saying well that's what happens
1: it's like no look this is a problem there is a book out on the argos that calgary wrote the book um calgary then read the book to toronto uh, it's disappointing that we weren't prepared for that because we talked about it in our pod. Like like clearly Calgary knew what to do to Toronto. They had just done it. Um, and they came out and did it again. So that I was certainly disappointed by that that there didn't seem to be a new game plan for attacking Calgary because Calgary was all over Toronto today. They just knew everything they were running. And they, you know, that would happen last time. So, yeah, I think for sure the takeaway is this is this is an issue. I don't think the takeaway is Toronto is a fraud, um, and and you know the West is all powerful. Which there might be some places that will make that argument. I, I don't think that's the argument. I think, I think the argument is we have to fix this. Calgary is a bad matchup with us and you know I think
0: a lot rides on that BC line game I think this if we were to sum up the, the issues with the offense I think they come down to really one thing and that's every time Toronto found themselves in second and more than four which was a number of times Calgary would rush three send nine into coverage and those three would get home. and They would create pressure. They would force a throw. And there's, there was nothing at all downfield. You've got a great view from the McMahon Stadium press box. It's way up there, and I'm I'm looking downfield at nine guys in coverage. Whether they're playing, um, you know, uh, two man or or whether they're whether they're just you know dropping to the smallest of zones. There's nothing. There's nobody open downfield, and. Usually, the solution to that is that when you're only rushing three, well, you can hold them off for a while, and eventually someone will break open. But that wasn't happening. They were generating as much pressure from a three-man rush as teams generally get from a four or five-man rush, except that they've got the added bonus of having those extra guys in coverage downfield. And you just can't, you can't win when you're trying to pass into that. It's just there's there's no answer to that if if you don't have a screen game, a draw game. Uh, or a a running quarterback um, would have changed that a little bit too. But you've got to get yourself in a position where a three-man rush can't just be the end of your offensive attack.
1: No, I mean, you you can't win. Well, we just saw you can't win. you, You know, you're exactly right. You cannot win a football game if the defense is able to get home with three. There's just there's just no it's like it's like having f- three extra players on your team you know <laughs> you're not you're not going to beat a team that has three more guys than you do and uh, and essentially that that's what was happening it was they were playing with more players and that's why it looked that way you know it was like why are there three Calgary guys around every catch it's like that well that's why um, so that yeah look that that's that's an issue and. It is a matchup issue, I think, more than anything else. You know, we talked about the Calgary connection; they know the playbook, um, they know the route combinations. I I don't think necessarily that that's what we're going to run into against other teams. Uh, for example, the Lions. I don't I don't think the Lions are going to be able to to come out and do that. I you know so yeah it it it's disappointing of course you you like to see the team come up big against a big opponent and they just could not get the offense going at all um so that that that's uh
0: yeah it uh, sucks something that I thought was interesting. I spent some time watching specific Calgary dBs just to see what they were doing and how they were shutting things down. They were actually breaking on the ball. At the same time as the Argos receiver, and sometimes before that, which shows you this film study that we're talking about, like watching watching Moxie for example. There were a couple plays where he seemed to. It was almost like, and and I don't think they did know the plays in advance. Like, I, but it looked like that. It looked like it looked like they were in the huddle, and you know, broke the huddle, yeah, I lined mean, up, so and the, ran that route. The broadcast commented on it.
1: You know, the the Calgary is running the routes for Toronto, and. They did a bit of that when they were in Toronto, and I think that, you know, that's the downside of bringing the Calgary playbook to Toronto. Is it's still the Calgary playbook, and uh, you know that that's that's tough. That's tough to to because they know the fundamentals underlying all of your offense, and you don't have. You know, the, we've talked about the Argos don't have game breaking speed. That's not. That's not how they're built. So, you know, you know what the scheme is. You can you can play it pretty well. But I think on the reverse, Toronto was ready for everything Calgary was doing.
0: Yeah, they were. You know, they were all over Calgary similarly, but they couldn't generate pressure with three. And, and we dropped two picks, you know? Yeah. I mean, a couple
1: – exactly. And we couldn't get pressure with three. I mean, that that's really the difference is if you catch one of those interceptions – you know, whether Hoyt or Amos catches one of those interceptions or you're able to get a little more pressure, it, it's it's a different ballgame. I think that's the only that's the difference it was a heavyweight fight between two defenses and they just caught uh, they caught a break that uh, that we weren't able to
0: let's talk about a couple of things that uh, we noticed during the game. The first one I want to talk about is we had a a very early appearance of Ryan Hunter in this game, uh, the newly signed offensive lineman. They brought him in as a tight end. I think it was in that first series. I think it might've been the second play of the game. They brought him in as a tight end. And I thought that was, I was really excited by that because I just wanted to see how that was going to look. And I think what we saw was why it takes a little time for guys that have been playing American ball to transition to the Canadian side. Because he came in and the it was a it was a pass play, and he's lined up as a tight end, but he has a defensive end outside of him, and the defensive end went flying by him. He he didn't even get a hand on him, and this is because it takes time for american linemen now he's canadian but i'll get back to that in a second takes time for american linemen to adjust to that that one yard neutral zone it's really difficult your angle is different everything that you've been doing for in some cases your whole life is now or your whole football life is now different because of that one yard it really does change a lot and i know he's canadian he's from north bay but from high school onwards he's been playing american football and at the highest level into the NFL for, for four years, that that is going to take some time for him to adjust to. So they, I'm not surprised that they didn't run that out there a lot. Uh, but it's, it was probably good for him to get into a game, probably good for him to see that and see that on film, and he'll be aware of what he has to work on. He's a highly intelligent guy. Um, he'll be all over that, uh, as, as, soon as he can, but it shows you why he wasn't, why he wasn't starting this week. Cause I did have some people asking, you know, if he's, if he's so smart, he knows the playbook. Why isn't he out there? That's why he's not out there yet. He will be, and you know, he'll be great, but not yet, not yet. Uh, JB, let's talk about some of the, some of the injuries. Uh, man, I can't remember another game where, Toronto lost this many guys in such short order. Uh, it was it was devastating that that first quarter to lose like we we talked about, you know Peters is already out uh, to lose to lose McManus to lose Ray. Uh, I did get a, a little bit of an injury update. They don't know everything yet, but just talking to coach Dindy after the game, he said that Shane Ray's injury they were suspecting was a torn bicep. And they're going to do some tests and, and have an answer to that he was in a sling all night and it looked like just the way the guys around the bench were going over to him arm around him giving him a hug uh you know just i guess it, it seemed like it looked like this was somebody whose season had ended the way they were acting on the bench we don't know anything yet but it it really didn't look good and then went to McManus, I didn't actually see the injury happen, but he was on crutches. He had his knee wrapped ice on it. What did it look like to you? Yeah, I mean, basically
1: like bending something around uh, a pole. Um, you know, like one of those toys you have where you can, you know, take your pencil and wrap it around a metal pole and it wraps around the pole. Um, that's what it looked like. You know, it looked like it would probably be like, a, a bad knee sprain because it wasn't, he wasn't collapsed in on, he wasn't rolled up on. He, you know, he, he swung around trying to make a tackle and he smashed into the legs of an offensive lineman and his, you know, his knee bent around the offensive lineman. Um, so that, that would be, you know, having seen it, you know, best, best to hope that you're looking at, uh. You know, like a two-game two-game sprain, MCL sprain. Uh, I'd be really surprised if if that was a tear. Usually, that type of in you know that type of contact
0: doesn't cause a tear. Coach Dinwiddie was pretty, uh, I guess, optimistic about that as well. Maybe thinking that this. I I think he. I'm trying to remember his exact words because I don't want to misquote him at all. But I I believe he uh, said he suspected it was an MCL issue and in that in hoping he's coming back this season obviously that means that they're hoping that this is not a tear but obviously they'll do tests and hopefully it is hopefully it is uh you know just uh, something that has him out for a few weeks and I I don't even mind if he sits for the rest of the regular season maybe that's what's best for him but to have him back for the playoffs will be huge because you saw the difference in what was happening when Wyndham McManus came out of the game they put Trevor Hoyt in and Trevor Hoyt, you know, I love Trevor Hoyt as a player. I think he's fantastic. But Wyndham McManus is the best will linebacker in the league. And there's a huge drop off after that, no matter who you are. And, The other thing was they were kind of having to rotate situationally because McManus can do multiple things. McManus is, is a great run stopper, but he's also great in coverage. And what the Argos were doing instead is basically on first and 10, they were, they were leaving in Hoyt uh, as the, the will backer. And then on second down, they'd replace Hoyt with Priester and sort of play the seven DB look, which Calgary started running on. But when they were passing on it, that was a vulnerability when, when Hoyt was in the game because Hoyt's coverage isn't as good as Priester's coverage. Uh, so it, it really put them in a bind. And then as they started to lose more and more players, they couldn't even really keep up with that anymore. So that was sort of when the wheels started falling off. But yeah, it's it's a massive thing to, to, to be without Wyndham McManus for these next few games is going to be extremely tough on the defense.
1: Yeah, especially against BC. Um, that, that is, I, I mean, Muamba looked fantastic today. Um, that's going to be, yeah, it's going to be a lot, uh, to ask of the defense to try and, to try and hold up against BC with without him. But, you know, you're going to need to, um, Montreal is probably going to run their next two games and it's going to come down to
0: those final two games in the East. Are you worried about the run defense? Because I know some of those yards were late, but the one really good drive that Calgary had early was their second touchdown. So that first touchdown was basically gifted to them. Bethel Thompson threw an interception in Toronto's end. Uh, it was at like the 23-yard line and Calgary converted. But their their second touchdown was a real drive and it was a lot of kiddin' carry. He ended the night 14 carries for 92 yards. That's 6.6 average. And, and Peyton Logan... Uh, was averaging seven yards a carry with seven seven carries for forty nine yards. These are scary rushing numbers, and Toronto's run defense has been decent this year. Uh, does that worry you? Seeing a good running team like mm. this, knowing that Montreal has got Stanbeck, who is going to run a lot, like we saw from from Kerry. That's going to be their game plan. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: I'd have to say no. I think you look if you look they 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 put a little more into the run but i wouldn't say that the game plan was stop the run i think the game plan was still stop the pass mm, they still held them to 14 points for three quarters that should be enough to win so they they did have a nice drive there i agree but it was only the one good drive so uh, you know and i know they went for like whatever 140 as a team but I, I don't think the inability to stop the run, um, what was the primary problem? I think I think it's okay. I I think, I don't think the run matters in the CFL. To be honest with you, I just I don't think it matters. Like, they went for hundred and forty and a touchdown, but, uh, you know who cares? They they easily could have lost that game, with all those running stats intact. Um, it did not. It didn't tilt the game
0: yeah i i'm with you on that as well and i i'm okay in that ben but don't break philosophy allowing teams to run because in three down football it just takes it just takes one stop and now suddenly well i guess that's the end of that drive Uh, and and passing wise they did hold jake Mayer to pretty limited numbers his percentage was high but he was it, it was a lot of underneath stuff 17 for 24 for 175 a touchdown and two interceptions like those aren't those are numbers that you're happy with. Uh, and he had a better day than Bethel Thompson, mind you. Bethel Thompson was completing just 50%, 19 of 38, uh, which is really not good for 194 and two picks. It was a weird combination because, first of all, no one was open. But when guys were open, Bethel Thompson wasn't hitting them. He missed a couple, just missed a couple of deep balls. There was the two to Daniels that I talked about. There was another one to, to Gittins Jr., there was one to to coax he when he had a step, and then there were a couple of shorter passes that he usually does hit, where he just couldn't quite find his guy. It just it wasn't a good game. It was it was probably, I think it probably was his his worst game of the season, and it didn't help that it was on a day when receivers also couldn't get open, and they were behind, and so weren't really able to commit that much to the run game. But something that Bethel Thompson said after the game that I thought was interesting. I asked him. About, I asked him the question that I asked you: Is you know, do you just kind of throw this in the garbage and and move on? Uh, he said no. He's like, I, I think there is some really good film from this. I think we're going to learn a lot from this game. But he also talked about some positives. He talked about wanting to go back and take a look at at the running game because there were some real positives within that. AJ Olette nine carries, sixty six yards. That's that's nice. Seven point three yards per carry that that's that's a really good number and if you can find a way like that those are the kinds of numbers that if the game is closer down the stretch that's fantastic and so there is maybe something there now is that just calgary saying well we don't care you can run all day just kind of like what you're saying where the the run doesn't matter i
1: think i think that's what they played i think they were fine they were fine with the let running and and i agree he did play well but it, it didn't it didn't move the needle. It you know the that the you know he the pressure on the quarterback all day was was not good. Even on the picks, you know they he he has thrown worse interceptions. Um, you know these were under pressure. You know, and when you're under pressure, you're going to make bad throws. So you know, I don't. I think it was it was more a team a team offense issue that Calgary just knew what they were going to do all game. And they didn't have anything that surprised Calgary. And when you don't
0: surprise the defense, you are dead. You know, what was also really upsetting was that Toronto had a real opportunity defensively had Shane Ray stayed and they had he been able to, uh, you know, had he been able to play, had he not been injured? Because Calgary was coming into this game, they hadn't allowed a sack in forever. Their offensive line, Calgary's offensive line is really strong. But Derek Dennis was injured last week. He's out for the season, their left tackle. And so he was replaced today by Josh Coker, who... Uh, actually looked okay early on. He may he may have given up that first sack. I, I'm not positive about that, so I don't really want to put it on him uh, with Robbie Smith. But then he was injured and was out for the whole second half. And so they had to replace him with Bryce Bell, who was their, their backup center. And so now you've got a, a backup center playing left tackle, and that is normally Shane Ray's spot. Shane Ray would have had a field day back there. And it's just one of those unlucky things. The the day that Shane Ray gets injured could have been the day where this is multiple sacks we're talking about because it would have been a huge mismatch, but no such luck for the Argos. And it just seemed like that was what was happening today. It's just again, I like I just feel like it was one of those days. Even even like Coach Dinwiddie at the end, we've seen him pretty angry after games. When things have gone badly, we've seen him Get heated in, in press conferences and you know be clearly upset, visibly upset with the team or how things went. I didn't get that from him today at all. It didn't it didn't feel the same way. I didn't feel the frustration from him, and and I I actually think maybe there are some positives in this. You know, this is a Toronto team that clinched a playoff spot last week, and he commented on that too. He said, you know, this is we clinched a playoff spot last week, and guys have to realize that you. You know you you can't just you can't just stop that doesn't it doesn't just end now because there's there's more work to be done so maybe maybe this is the kick in the pants that the Argos may have needed for this last stretch down the the rest of the season
1: I mean from a coach perspective you know it felt like a game where um you were right there and you had a shot and you missed a deep pass and that's it. And then that window closed, and then the the thing kind of unraveled at the end. And it's really just as simple as that.
0: I want to go through the drive chart here because this—I I don't know—the last time I saw something like this because the, the the Argos haven't the Argos haven't scored two points or less in quite a while. Well, it's 2019, but that was such a terrible team. They lost 26 nothing to the Edmonton's. Uh, in july of 2019 and you know that was the last time there was this sort of output but look at the drive chart <laughs> they, had, they had 16 drives in today's game they went as follows punt 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 single which is a mistake you know that's you don't want a punt single that's that's something going poorly yes you got a single point but a, a, a 70 a 75 yard punt Uh, that you want that to hold up, obviously. Uh, so where are we here? Punt, 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 single, interception, missed field goal, punt, 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 interception for a pick six, turnover on downs, interception. Those are your 16 drives. It's
1: yes, I think (laughs) where we are suggesting people should not overreact. Also, it was terrible, you know, (laughs) terrible game planning, terrible execution. Um, Terrible, terrible offensive football. That you know that has to be rectified. That that can't be lost. That that has to get fixed if if they want to have a chance to to win. You know the the title. You can't have an offense that can be shut down so completely. You know that that is that is a deeply flawed uh, machine because you know Calgary's defense are fine. But they're not, um, you know, like, th- this is not an all-time defense. So I, I do think you've, you're, you're looking at some conventions that you, maybe if you play Calgary again in the final, you're going to need a whole new playbook. You're going to have to find some things that, that you didn't bring out of your Calgary um,
0: kind of underlying beliefs. I think the stat that shows you how well both defenses played today is the two punters combined for 1,006 punting yards. Think right. about that in a game. <laughs> that's that's unbelievable. Haggerty had 11 punts for 540 yards, and Cody Grace had 9 punts for 466 yards. That, right. that is an absurd amount of punting. You, you cannot...
1: Well, I mean, I think it's very similar to the first Calgary game where the defense really played well and the offense just brought nothing. And that's disappointing. But maybe they didn't have the time between the two games to invent a new offense.
0: (laughs) Well, because that that can't be the strategy, though. Like, I know if we're talking about Grey Cup, and if it's a Calgary-Toronto-Great Cup, obviously, you know, you don't have a choice there. The odds are it's not going to be Calgary. If Toronto gets the Great Cup, the the odds are that it's, you know, it, they're certainly not the favorites you would expect it to be Winnipeg, but... Uh, you know, if that happens, they will have to address this uh, and maybe make some changes. But it's really hard. You don't want to throw away your the base of your system. It doesn't really work like that, where you just say, "Well, all of those plays we've been running all year and all last year, we're not going to use any of that, any of those concepts anymore. We're only doing new things." You just don't have the time to perfect that to to build chemistry. It's not a realistic model. And the thing is, when you see it in when you see it in in college sports or in the NFL, there's so many more teams that it rarely comes back to haunt you. Although that said, it happened to my Cincinnati Bengals last year in the Super Bowl, where Zach Taylor, the head coach and offensive coordinator for the Bengals, his entire playbook is based on Sean McVay's playbook. And who does he meet in the Super Bowl? The one guy who whose playbook he's using is the guy that he plays in the Super Bowl it's far more likely to happen in the CFL with only nine teams so it is something they they need to be aware of but I'm just not sure there's much you can do about that I don't think this is the kind of thing where you're just like well let's just do all new stuff I think what you do is you run a lot more I think your play calls have to change situationally so second along I think you run more you know, they're, if they're only going to send three and guys are bailing way the heck out, let's run some draws. Let's run some screens. They, they, they were leaving Olette in to block sometimes. One of the most depressing moments of the game was a three-man rush where the Argos left Olette in and Bethel Thompson still got sacked. So you had six guys blocking three and, and they got a sack on that play. And so if you're going to leave them in sometimes anyway, then run screens off that, run delayed draws off that, leak outs, things that that we really didn't see much of today. And so I think that's more the adjustment you make, not changing the playbook and starting from scratch every time you play Calgary. Do you take anything out of Chad Kelly's time at the end? Because again, Twitter has, uh, t- Twitter has turned into Twitter again. Uh, all of the replace... McLeod Bethel Thompson nonsense that we were hearing throughout the early part and middle of the season return tonight. People saying should Chad Kelly start next game, etc. Obviously, we know the answer is no. That's that's ridiculous. That's foolish. Um, What did you get from Chad Kelly's performance, uh, as brief as it was? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he, you
1: know, he he looked like a guy who couldn't like just saw color everywhere and would take the ball and run. You know, I mean, I think it just looked like that. He looked like he looked like a quarterback who came in and was overwhelmed by what he looked at, which is exactly what should happen as a rookie quarterback. And and at no point did did he seem um, like someone who uh, who was ready to take over uh, the offense.
0: It was interesting to me that Calgary called a timeout as soon as he came onto the field. So they saw him out there in the huddle and they called a timeout. I don't know if something else was going on or they needed to make a substitution. I couldn't see anything like that. But then they did play Chad a little differently than they'd been playing Bethel Thompson. But they were still dropping a tremendous number of guys into coverage. Uh, But they weren't weren't three-man rushing the same way. And they were spying him because, of course, he can run. So that is a little bit of a different setup. And I think that makes it tougher for Chad Kelly, too, because he comes in the game and... The offense that he's been watching Bethel Thompson run, or sorry, the defense that he's been watching Bethel Thompson run against all game, suddenly isn't the same defense that, that he's seen. And, and it was tougher for him, because even his, his rushes, you know, he had three, three runs for 12 yards, you would think there'd be all sorts of space. The way that Calgary's defense was playing Bethel Thompson, if Bethel Thompson had had Chad Kelly's speed there was all sorts of room for him to run around in. However, they're not going to play Chad Kelly that way. It was still enough to not leave much for him. Chad Kelly ends up one one for five uh, for seven yards and a, and a pick. Uh, but the running really wasn't there for him either. And so yeah, I think I'm glad he got in the game. I think that was the right call. I, I asked Coach Dinwiddie if he thought about maybe putting him in earlier or not. And he, he said no. It was still too tight a game at that point Until it until they scored that that pick six, it was still a game. And he's like, no, I'm not going to put him in in that scenario, which I think is correct. Some positives to think about as we uh, start to wrap things up here. I think Eric Rogers coming back is uh, very much needed. I feel like he could have been a difference maker out there today because he's one of those guys who even in tight coverage can make plays. He's a big body. He's a very good route runner. He's got great hands. And even when he is blanketed, you can still throw him the ball. And there's a pretty good chance he's going to come down with it. And it allows Deveris Daniels to go back to the outside. And we already talked about his that, that miss today. That miss is uh, the way that Deveris Daniels ran that go route was the way that, you know, that he might run it on the outside uh, and not, uh, you know, the way he'd run it from the slot. So Deveris maybe goes back outside. There's um, Eric Rodgers has your W and then you got all sorts of flexibility on the other side and i don't know how bad demonte Cox's injury is i'm hoping that he's okay i didn't see him come back into the game after he was helped to the sideline so i don't I, I don't know what to make of that but um i didn't see any other any other receivers uh, injured in the day so hopefully if if he can come back and they're able to rotate the the that sort of group of four on the field side of of Amble's, Phillips, Gittens Jr. and and Banks, then I think that that's something that gives you some possibilities. So that could really have changed things tonight. And I think you know maybe if they do run into Calgary again, the presence of Eric Rogers might be enough to to sort of shift the balance a bit.
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought defensively they held up really well with all those guys out. They still had Calgary in check. You know, Calgary was was held to two touchdowns. They scored the pick six, which the defense can't do anything about. And then, you know, at the end of the game, the game was already over. So that last touchdown was just, you know, nothing time touchdown. So I think the fact that the defense didn't come apart is really impressive.
0: Well, that will just about do it for us on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. After a wonderful September, October <laughs> gets off to a pretty horrible start with this 29-2 to loss. But, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see how the team rebounds next week, and <laughs> we'll uh, obviously be there for it. Could have a, for all the marbles, Montreal-Toronto finale. It's looking like that. It is looking like those last two games of the season – are really going to determine who wins the east so we'll see yeah i love it we'll see a couple couple of big games coming up though bc edmonton those are those are going to be those are going to be pretty important ones too for jb this is ben grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones i'll see you